0: This is Raw Cut.
1: This is Life Burst. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. And today we're taking you on a journey back in time
0: and to
2: another place with our guest Kay.
1: That's right, welcome to Life Burst. Today in the studio we've brought back Kay.
3: Thank you very much for inviting me.
1: Now, Kay, how do we actually say your full name?
3: Mm. My full name is Kay Khosrow, Persian name, ancient Persian name. But the second, the first part, Kay, is enough. That's my name. Mm. And my surname Azadegan means never been a slave and never made anybody a slave. Look, Freeman. That's mm. an ancient surname. Come is, from yeah. the time of Cyrus. Well, okay, we brought you back because you
2: have uh, so much story to share. Last time you shared about uh, your faith, you shared about uh, some of the persecution you experienced growing up in Iran. But we'd love to go today back to Iran and those early days. Uh, What was life like growing up back in a place that would be so foreign to many of our viewers and listeners?
3: If I really wanted to share with you those days, nobody believes. Because today, with the help of internet and television and cinema and books and magazines, almost entire of the planet becoming like a global village. Mm. But 60 years ago, 75 years ago when I was born, that was different story. Um, I was born in a village or a town with about 3,500 population. We had just one primary school for boys and not for girls. And we had a half high school year first, second and the third of high school. And then that was end of it. There was no job for people because of the second war. I was born 1944, right after the war. And my town, people used to produce Persian carpet and sell it to whole sellers and go to Europe. Because there was no market, nobody could get any money. So people live in absolute poverty. And government didn't have enough budget to make school. As a result, a population of three and a half thousand people there was just one primary school and no girls. But for the first time, when the first time I went to school, they started a girls' primary school as well. And by the time I came to year 11, we had a high school in our town, Zavore, but not for the girls. What so did the girls is, do? Uh, as soon as finished... Primary school, learning the craft, and making carpet for the parent if they could sell it. Or get ready, somebody come and get married. So those days in Islamic society, girls, they get married earlier than the West. If a girl is 18 and still living with the parent, everyone's saying, what's wrong with this girl? Nobody wanted to marry her. As a result, people trying hard to find a nice guys to come and marry their daughter. Mm. What
1: was the age difference between the women and the men?
3: Uh, Those days, I remember about seven, eight years difference. But some other societies, like in Afghanistan, that is next to Iran, a six-year-old man, can marry a 15 years old girl. Still, they doing this traditional and they don't care about the feeling of the girl.
1: How do you feel about that happening?
3: Oh, those days, because I was there and I grew up there, that was usual. Mm-hmm. But because I wasn't uh, a Muslim in Baha'i community, a boy and a girl, and when they are 15 or older, if they can marry, they can marry, they do. So the Baha'i girls never get married those days, younger than 16. But many girls, year, 12 years old, 11, 12, 13, mm. and that was the area. Anyway, in that time, in that situation, we're going to a school to learn something and be able to get a job by government and make some money. Because there was no job in the market. If I wanted to become a carpenter, I have to find a carpenter, accept me as apprentice, and go there and sit down and watch under there. If I wanted to become a blacksmith, it was the same. But in these days, it's different, exactly like Australia. Mm -hmm. We have got TAFE College there different name and the same we go on there mm. we have got universities and so before we go move on to that stage
2: of your life uh, growing up in an area where there wasn't a lot of wealth what did you as a young child uh, do for uh, for fun for entertainment was it a, was it a happy time growing no,
3: up? no it wasn't happy time right. i was very bored and persecuted by other kids because I was a static, I couldn't speak well. And anytime I opened my mouth, everyone was laughing at me. Mm. So I had to stay in the house and make my own tools and play. So I became a very creative kid for imagination, created stories for myself. And that helped me many, many, many years later when I do my radio show, I write the stories I pick up something and add my memory into it and read from here in the magazine and write. But those days, no, I had to be able to make tools, toys and everything myself. So that was most of the kids those days they did. Whatever they had play with. If somebody found an old bicycle tire, they played with this one. Still, you see, it in African country, they do it. That was the life of a child. We learn from what we see. There was no education for children. For example, a few days ago, a few weeks ago, there was International Day of Children's Book. United Nations had chosen this day, and I was thinking of those days when I was a child. There was in. In our school, we had a library, perhaps 50 books. And those books were about 50 or 100 years old, and none of them were written for the kids. didn't exist. I remember the first book that I read, written for for kids, that was the story of Hans Christian Andersen. And uh, that was amazing. I loved that book because it was written for kids. Mm. Those days, no kids, look at their mother and the father and the neighbor and that's it. In the school we didn't have much craft, for example, or anything that we can learn. So all of them helped me later on when I became a primary school teacher. I did what I expected in childhood and didn't exist. I created myself. So I became popular teacher in the region that i did work and that was the life of
1: childhood how did you become a primary school
3: teacher oh that is a very lovely story okay (laughs) 1960 in united states of america uh, john f kennedy became the president and his party was a type of party in America they wanted to do something for the third world countries, so he had a good friendship with the king of Iran and he did some sort of agreement between two government and they asked Iranian government to do something for society in those days, each a person finished high school before go to work must go for one year obligatory service to government and become a soldier, become a private for a while, for two years. And in that time, 1961, king of Iran asked government to establish a law, a piece of constitution, that if these high school leavers, They want, instead of going into a barrack and become a soldier and learn how to shoot and to kill, they can go to villages as a primary school teacher. Mm -hmm. And I was one of the best group after six months education. I went to the village. And my village was in the border We're going to have a break.
1: We're going to have a break. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Because- I know where this story goes. It is like the perfect time to take a break. And we'll be back with more Life First straight after this.
0: If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app, or you can share this on social media.
2: On life Burst, we're chatting to Kay. And Kay, you were telling us at the point of becoming a teacher after a a long journey, you moved to a village. Pick up the story from there. Yes,
3: I moved to a village as a teacher. The location of the village was in the border of Iran, Afghanistan, and Russia, east north of Iran. And uh, people are speaking very peculiar Persian language, but with accent. Later on, I realized this is exactly the same accent of Afghan people. They call it Dari. Anyway, that was the first time that there was a school in that village, except a couple of people. They studied a little bit in religious school, could read and write, nobody could read. No so, this lunch. was a,
2: a real rural village? It was. Yeah.
3: Approximately 75 families living there. And I had about 25 to 30 students, boys and girls. And that was very unique because in Iran, even 20 years before, when I was a child, in the big town, didn't have any uh, girls' school. But government really made it, boys and girls go to school. And I had two rooms, one for my bedroom and the same time office. Other one was the school. We had some chairs. Desk and blackboard and other thing government provided. Free books and pen and pencil. That was really good. And I started. I had some students coming from Afghanistan. Five kids. 500 meters of the border. So over there, after about eight, nine months, those kids, they learned to read and write, went to gear second, and the new came. And after that one, still the school there, uh, just primary school. And when the school finished, the education finished, if they wanted to continue, they can go to the nearest town and study there. I've got a uh, picture of myself, uh, an artist some years ago came to Australia and I did some video work for him and he did a collage of picture, if you want, I can show you. Yes, please. From village. I hope the camera can see. Here, I hope people can see. Yeah, we can see it pretty my well. my picture, that is a collage, and in the bottom down here, that is a village, similar to the village that I lived. And as you see, is a very dry country, not much greenery around it. So that was the area that I lived. And I worked and really enjoyed and I learned about the culture of people. You were saying
2: before it was, uh, uh, it was a first school, uh, so it was a fairly primitive,
3: uh, didn't, yes. have, didn't have all the facilities. No, didn't have any facilities. Even houses, they didn't have toilet. There was one building belonged to the owner of the house, of the, bil- the, the village. And I lived for a while there and then when the school started and I went there. So that was difficult. I walk all the way to that house and go to facility and come back toilet. So I decided to establish first. So I asked people as volunteers, VDAC, four well, not very deep, about six, seven meters. Mm -hmm. and put a stone on the top and became the toilet and I train kids how to use the toilet because they used to go to the bush and that was really bad and fly everywhere so they learn and then I teach them how to wash themselves because in Iran in Islamic society they don't use at least those days toilet paper in the city they were but not in the villages and other places so I teach them how to wash themselves and boys learn and teach their sisters and they teach their parents and those four toilet was for entire of the village 70 population 70 families there and then they didn't have shower so I made a sort of very primitive two by three meters room and a 44 uh, drum, as in drums, that was from oil or something, yes. And put it sideway, a tap, one side of it, and I'll cut the top of it and some water in, put some water underneath and warm it up and make sure it's not too hot to burn and not too cold to shiver. So I started using that one. It wasn't a shower, but at a tap, and a container. Uh, put water on my head, and kids, boys learn that one, and then family as well. So, I made that one first for myself and a student of school, and believe me, become popular. <laughs> yeah, and there was an old man, his name was Hassan, which was, uh, his name was Hassan Lagare, means Hassan the skinny. Right. And he said, Can I run this for myself? And I'll make some money, I said yes. And he used to charge a couple of cents or something. And people go, ladies come and wash themselves. And they were so happy that they had a shower in the village. They had toilet in the village. And believe me, newspaper came and some journalists came and wrote this story and then started. And now in these days, I guess in those villages people they have got their own private shower and toilet. Mm. But this is 1961, 1962. Yes. And believe me I I'm very proud to this to did those very primitive step for helping
2: people. Mm. So it's fair to say that your time as a teacher in that village was,
3: uh, was impacting on not only the students yes. but the whole village. Yes. Yeah. But I didn't know much. But like what I knew, I shared with people. But I didn't stay in that village because when I finished, the two years end up, one and a half year because six months we did education, and then government employed me and employ all of those people as primary school teacher. And they send us to bigger villages. And those villages was about 2000 population. And established a school or they had a school. And then step by step from this town to other town. And at the end, I transferred myself to bigger city to be able to go to university.
1: Well, I'm curious about the study and university and the costing and, and how you got through all of that.
3: Those days, talking about 1960s and early 70s, education wasn't free in Iran. Not for primary school and high school, but for university. So, I've, first of all, government decided to Changed the style of education. And we had primary school and high school. They created a school between these two junior high school. So for junior high school, they need teacher. And then they uh, announced whoever wanted to be teacher of those must have a course. So there was a test exam and I sat for that exam. And I become one of those students. But that has got a story. It's not too bad, I told you, if there is time. <laughs> Please tell us the story. Yes. It's a good story. Uh that time, the town that I was studying working there, it was about four hundred kilometers from the capital city, three hundred kilometers that my family lived, my parents and my mother and sisters and brother, and uh, the village that I worked, they were very political people, so anytime after school was finished, school days, I had to go to a coffee shop, sit down and have a cup of tea and talk to people, and everyone wanted to know what sort of person I am and talking about my belief in politics and other things, I wasn't interested. So I decided to study my high school books, so year 12, I read all of my books, physics, chemistry, mathematics, language, whatever. So by the end of the year, school holidays, that was three months in Iran, June, July and August, because Iran is in the Northern Hemisphere. The test came for that uh, studying, going to become a uh, um, the junior high school teacher. And I sat for exam and i been accepted and that was the time I went for the first time university for two years and I got a sort of degree and I became a junior high school teacher.
1: This is Life Burst with Sarah and Matt and we'll be back soon. <laughs>
0: Hey, did you know this show is available in video two? You can find it at rawcut.com.au.
1: Well, congratulations, Kay, because you were accepted to be a junior high school teacher. What happened from there?
3: Okay. I started teaching, working in that school, but I realised that I can study more and become a high school teacher so while i was fresh and just finished that course i sat for another exam and been accepted to go to tehran university the biggest and the best university in middle east at that time
1: how did you pay for all of this
3: it was very difficult those days still we had to pay for our education and how did you do and it? i was a primary school teacher I was married, we had a child, a boy, now today is 50, but those days I have to, uh, and my wife didn't work. As a result, I had to do something. I used to go to school till about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, then go to university, and early hours of night uh, driving taxi, driving cars to earn money and make enough money to pay, but that was so difficult. Till 1971, I was I finished year first. And one night after university finished, I was driving this cup, this taxi. That was about two o'clock in the morning. I was so tired and thinking, God, what can I do? For how long can I stand working, studying? And I don't have time to stop, to to rest. And then I was driving, going home. And I noticed there is no car in the street. And there is a traffic light in front of me. And became red. I said, I don't care. I go through it. Because those days there was no police that time. And no traffic camera. And then as soon as I got close to the red, Light to stop uh, not to stop i saw a convertible car driving and next to me he stopped i decided i stopped as well it's still it's not good when i stopped and it was summer and hot and my window was down and the car was convertible, that was the king shah the leader of iran and that was the first time I saw him face to face, but because oh, okay. I was in the field. At two o'clock in the and morning. Two o'clock, two o'clock two, in the morning. And I said, your Highness, I have got a request. And he said, stop after the light. And as soon as it became green, he stopped and I stopped behind him and I went and I said, I am a teacher and at the same time I drive taxi to earn money to pay for my education. And I go to university. And he asked, which university? I said, Tehran University. And he said, I cannot afford. I you know, have to work. I you know, don't have time for studying. He said, give me two months. Two months, twice. And he pushed the pedal and gone. And I said, he didn't ask my name. He didn't ask me just which university. And that was not really and it, they didn't care in two months a law came an education in university and high school in Iran all free and they gave me back the money that I paid for registration of myself that year mm-hmm. and it happened so that was free education cheap food books really cheap I didn't have to work hard anymore. So when I finished and got my bachelor in science, that was 1973, I decided to keep studying and I got a master's in zoology from the same university. And uh, I was hoping that I can later on have a bridging course and go become a medical doctor because I wanted to be a doctor.
1: I want to go back a few steps.
3: Yes. Okay.
1: You are driving your car at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> and just suddenly the king yes. is there. Yes. Like, does he live around that area? What, how is he out at two o'clock in the morning?
3: He, I don't know, but you don't perhaps know? he wanted to go and see the street. He wants okay. to go and look what is going on.
1: So, do you think it's just a coincidence that you just suddenly put up no. with the lights next to him? Many
3: years later. When he lost his power and went, before his death, he wrote a book. And I have got that book. Mm -hmm. And he said, I used to drive at least twice a week and go to the city and the town and go to villages to see what's going on. Because I didn't trust those giving me advice because they used to give me wrong advice. Mm -hmm. So I decided to do it. And I met many people and I tried to help people in need and at least I was one of them and many like me he was right he was he wasn't good person but he was a dictator for truth he was a dictator but it wasn't a nasty dictator he was a nationalist he loved his people he loved serve people and he did when I was a child we didn't have even a girl's school in my town that, with 5,000 population. And when he left, we had university in every city of Iran. We had school in every village. We had free, even lunch for kids in every school.
1: Wow.
3: He did. But it wasn't a democratic society, right. it was different. So the Iran that you
2: brought, grew up in as a child uh, was quite different to the Iran that uh, yes. you know, at the end of the time this king was in power, uh, Definitely. things had Definitely. moved forward considerably.
3: Yes. Mm. I'm still not saying that Iranians um, were happy that time, because that was the time Iranians looking for freedom of speech. They wanted a sort of democratic society. Iran is back uh, backyard of Europe We used to drive Go to Europe and come back And people go to Europe Buy a car and drive back to Turkey and other countries I did myself 1975-76 I had enough money uh, I went to Germany Bought a one year old Mercedes and drove back Iran and registered I had that car till last days I was in Iran so Iranians knew what's happening in the West and they wanted freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and uh, but they made a mistake because the new government didn't give them any of them and a very severe dictatorship, religious one. I don't want to talk about this. Past is past. Yes.
2: And you shared uh, last time about some of the, the transition and uh, encourage listeners after this to, uh, to, to take a look back at uh, some more of Kay's story that will fill in some blanks. But we're not over with the story today.
1: It's so, all right. This is Life Burst. We'll be back straight after this. this. is Sarah and Matt.
0: Raw Cut is also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter with the handle AU.
1: Okay, you've talked a lot about yourself and your education and meeting the king, but what was your wife and children doing while you were doing all of this?
3: I married when I was still a primary school teacher in the village.
1: How old were you?
3: That time I was 27, and and my wife was about 20. Okay. And my first. Our first child, a boy called Afshin Nana, he's 50, he's father of three in Australia. When he was born, that was the time I went to university, Tehran University, and studying science. But they have to, my wife had to suffer because I didn't have a lot of income and what I had, I didn't have a house of myself. So, he lived in great difficulty and uh very economical way of life but when there is no choice there's no choice so what type of things did
1: she get up to like during the day and
3: okay she did a study she did a study she finished her high school because she didn't have, she was from one of the villages near Tehran, mm-hmm. and her father was the chief of the village. So we married, and she finished her year twelve. Then he, did she go to university later on? But after I finished university, and he, she studied home economics, so she was very good at it. How you can live with budget income she did, and also psychology.
1: What's the chief of a village?
3: Chief of the village... how
1: did you marry its daughter? It sounds like... That is very (laughs)
3: simple. Because one of my sister, youngest sister, married a young man that he was the son of the chief of that village. Mm -hmm. But they lived in Tehran. He had a sister. And I met in my sister's wedding when I was a boy and she was a girl. But we knew each other. Then, many, many, many years later, she became a very beautiful young lady, and I was a handsome man. <laughs> we at least at handsome. At <laughs> <least> <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to get married, and my sister said, my sister-in-law is good. We didn't have any blood relation. Not at all. Two people from two different... I was from different part of Iran, so we married. But our children became double cousin.
1: Okay. All right. So what? What did you have to do? Like, did you have to? Like, how did you ask for her hand in marriage from the chief of the village?
3: uh, Very simple. My sister did all the job.
1: Okay.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, in in uh, Middle East, still parent of the boy. After the boy see the girl and he wanted to get married and say, "Oh, he's really nice and I like her." And she knows that he's attracted. And they go to visit the family and say, "We have got a son, and he is the time to get married." And he is he's think that you you have got a very lovely daughter, and if you really agree we can discuss this matter, and they agreed. So they did. So we got married, and they started the life together. The first year or two, I was still in the village working, but very close to Tehran. I used to drive every day, Mm -hmm. go to school, and come
1: back. Now, what does a Persian wedding look like?
3: I didn't understand, uh, because I'm semi-deaf.
1: Ah, oh, what does a Persian wedding look like?
3: Uh, I don't remember. But wedding, it is in the village, and a small town. We don't invite people, everyone comes. <laughs> everyone comes, and that's the mass. The village that I worked at the beginning, uh, many, many years ago, not only people of the village, but the next door and the other next door village people come and be happy two or three days and cook a lot of food and dance together. And that was those days. And our village, our marriage, because we were in the city, and we had a lot of relatives, both sides. So everyone come after the uh, official ceremony and uh, of the, Those that are Christian, they go to church and those that are Baha'is, they uh, Mm. marry several and come. And after all of this, finish and sign, dance together and have dinner together and that's it. Very simple. Mm. Yes, and if you go to internet, you can see today's Persian wedding, very similar to what you see here in Australia, but the rich people they do. They spend a lot of money. I don't know how they afford. Mm-hmm. I couldn't afford that much. But in these days, people, they have got money, they spend money. They go to a best hotel, motel, hall, and invite professional singer and sometimes belly dancers to come. And mm-hmm. This is the night, one night in the life they do it. Yes. Now, you move from that
2: celebration and and through your um, your years of teaching and university. Uh, but I came to a point, as you shared last time, where the government changed and yes. the situation in Iran changed dramatically to the point that you felt like you, well, you had to flee
3: the country. Uh, that was 1979. Iranian people, they wanted democracy. And they believed that the regime of Shah wasn't democratic enough so he left they say you don't like me i go and he left the country and the government collapsed and revolutionary people came and unfortunately they did a lot of stupid things killing previous prime ministers and members of the parliament and the, some generals and that was absolutely bad but when government got the power they started at dismissing non-Muslim from government jobs. It started from the top, and step by step. 1979 started, 1962, they wiped off entire of Baha'is from government jobs. I was one of them. So after many years working, serving community, working in a away village to do what I said, even I built toilets for people. Then I said, one day you are not allowed to work because education, you are educating people against Islam and I lost my job. And I started the same, driving taxi or working here and there and other jobs. And that time was war between Iran and Iraq. And hospitals full of casualty of the war. And my wife got sick; she had cancer, and we had to go under operation with no money, no income. It was bad. And every single day, a group of people have been arrested, put to jail, and killed them, or give them long sentence. That's happened there. Still doing that. So I decided to leave. I sold, and I had a house; we bought a house and we borrowed money from bank and bank told us we agreed to give you money to buy this house where you were employee of government and now you are not working. Government is not supporting you and we need the money. And they gave us three months. I sold the house, paid the bank and they left over. We found ourselves in Pakistan. We left Iran in the middle of night with great difficulty and went to Pakistan. The nearest city to the border of Iran and Afghanistan was Kuwait, a city called Kuwait. Mm. And in Kuwait, there was a UNHCR office, United Nations. And they accepted us as refugees, not in 24 hours, but for four weeks. And then we moved to different city, Lahore in Pakistan. And I was there, we were there about a year, and my wife was really getting down here all the time. And when United Nations helped me and Australian government accepted us as a refugee, we came to Australia. That was August, 10 of August, 1985, four weeks after my wife passed away.
1: This is very difficult, very difficult, very difficult. Mm. difficult. We will be back with more straight after this.
0: In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects one in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a raw cut community service announcement.
2: This is Life Burst and we're chatting to Kay. And Kay, last time you shared your story of life in Australia. But going back to your time um, back in Iran, uh, you can see through your story the importance of education for you. But education really is such a, an important topic for, uh, for all people. That's it.
3: Education. Look, human... Is different from animals because animals come to life with what they need for eating and escaping from danger and a shelter. But human needs more than that. One. We learn this one through education. Education is the key factor to make us what we are. God has sent many educators in the name of the prophets or manifestation of God. Jesus is one of them that you are a as far as I know. So you get the uh, material of him to educate, educate people. So in a smaller scale, Every day, every, every moment a child comes to life needs to be educated, needs to learn these kids. We have got to teach this how to survive, how to eat, how to clean, and then how to speak. And then learn things that needs for his or her life while it is in this planet. Education is the key. And I was a teacher. And I loved teaching, I loved. Because in childhood, I had so many questions, nobody answered me. So when I became a teacher, I decided to share what I knew. And still, I am the same person. Believe education is the key to the success of man in this planet. We come to this life to learn. If we don't learn, what's different between me and a lion, a donkey, a horse? There's no difference. Because I'm more intelligent, I will be more harmful to the society if you don't get educated. So we need it. So if we speak, we learn one day and that's sort of education. If we help others, this is because of education. If we make good food, for example, for health of people, this is because of education. Education is a key factor for improvement of man in this planet.
2: You were saying before, the, uh, the difference you've seen in even twins, uh, in the difference of their education.
3: Yes, education. if imagine two identical twins, one goes to a highly educated family, the other one stay in the village. And after 20 years, if they come together, that happens all the time, In the Internet exists, you can see them. You see the difference. The difference between education, these two, the same kids, the same parent, the same gene, and they are absolutely identical. The difference between these two is two different souls. soul of this one and that one is different. When we teach them, we can take, make one as a beast or an angel. That is in the of education. I'm very, very, very important. To me,' it's the best thing for human is better than food. water is education. I am in a place that Australia has got a lot of um, facilities for education of children. And this education, spiritual education and physical and mental education. both they need they need church they need a teacher to teach them about the oneness of god oneness of humanity help you know help others care about others the same way we teach them how to read and write and do a sport and become a te- become for example a doctor a medical doctor if a doctor has got good spiritual education that is an angel. But if you just teach them how to cut the body and take the things off, butcher do the same. The difference between the butcher and a surgeon, is butcher cut off the body of the animals for food, for physical food, but the doctor cut them to take the disease off. That is the importance of education. Mm. Okay,
2: uh, you've covered a lot of ground in your story and uh, you've, you've shared with us before as well and we'll encourage our listeners to go back and uh, to have a look at uh, this more of Kay's story on our separate podcast. Uh, one thing that we haven't shared though, you mentioned that as a young person that you had a stutter and um, yes. going right back to that part of your story, uh, what, what was it that um, that obviously excluded you and caused you to be bullied, you shared yes.
3: last time, how did you overcome that stutter? There are different types of stutter. Some of them, there are some mental or even physical uh, difficulty in the brain. But some others, after a shock, after a witness, a very severe explosion, for example, a child become stutter. These type, we can fix them. I was one of them. Next door to our house, that was a public bath, belonged to the Baha'i community in our town. And local people, especially because of the teaching of a priest, a Muslim priest, uh, sent people and set the fire with the fuel that was on the roof of that public bath. And our house was next door. And that was summer and everyone is sleeping on the roof in that area. There was no air condition, there was no electricity. And imagine, two o'clock in the morning, suddenly a lot of fire started. And there was a donkey that belonged to the man who used to run the bath. That donkey burned in that fire. And I loved that donkey. I used to go and play with donkey to them but it was my friend and then i saw in front of my eyes this was burning and screaming and then later on died so i lost my ability of my speaking so i became a mute i was about two and a half, three three years old mm. when i was five I started speaking with severe stutter and that continued till i became about 16, 17. And when I became a teacher, the confidence came back to me and I learned with a lot of practice. Nobody trained me how to speak. I did. Still, I have got a little bit uh, this problem in back of my brain and mind, but I can face it. it. Doing very well. Yes.
1: Now, final question that we ask all of our guests when they come in, yes, is if you had one piece of advice, Kay, to share with those who are watching and listening, what would that be?
3: The final is, I believe we should love mankind. We should love others. As Jesus said, love thy neighbor. My neighbor are 7 billion people living in this planet, if I love people, people will love me. When they love me, they listen to me. And when they listen to me, I can share my idea with them. When I came to Australia, I felt that love in Australian people. And I decided to copy the same. And I'm still doing here. Right now, we are sitting here and talking. I don't want to share this story with you because I become become a famous person. No, because this is because of love for Australian community. I do it. I don't say, in the bottom of my heart, entire of my existence, I really love mankind. I love people. I love the nature. I love everyone. And I would love to share this with them. And I have a special love and respect for those that are servant of community. You are working for Kids Arthritis Australia. That is my respect for you, because you're doing for others. And you, as a priest, the serving community, even this program is for serving community. And that is the reason I highly appreciate and is my love for your love towards Maka. That's I can say. Thank you, Kay. Thank you. Mm. Thank
1: you.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for coming in and to sharing with us again. And uh, uh, we should mention thank you for use of your studio again as well. It's, uh, mm. it's a beautiful uh, setup that allows us to share stories like yours and share uh, out of love for the community. As you said, that's, that's why we do what we do.
1: This has been Life Bursts. You can catch up with us wherever you get your podcasts from or on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, I'm Sarah.
2: I'm Matt. Shout out to our listeners on hillsradio.com.au. It's great to have you listening
0: as well. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman with production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshraw Ozartigan. With additional assistance by Brett Freeman. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a rawcut production.